Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Intersecting Media presents... We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. The next thing in late night talk. Here we go. While you're working, eating, and playing, he's watching. It'll be like O-Ten. Keeping you informed. Thank you. Jason Page. Demented and sad, but social. Covering all the day's news from a studio somewhere in Southeast Asia. Worldwide! And talking about it with you. Blah, blah, blah. You're up late with Jason Page. hoo or up early. Good morning. But just stay up. It is time. Here's Jason. All right. Thank you very much, Chad Erickson. Thank you for tuning in all across the world on Twitch, Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you're watching. Thank you so much for doing so. I am Jason. A busy hour ahead. Mondays always are. Mondays, it's, you know, sometimes you get to, like, Thursday in a news week. Although, with Trump in office, this wasn't the case. There was something to talk about literally every day. But with the typical news week, and this was the same in sports radio, Wednesday, Thursday would be kind of a difficult day. Where you're like, what are we going to talk about today? You look at your producer. What are we talking about? How many guests you got me? Because I, I ain't got nothing today. But that's the difference between guests. Uh, that's the difference between hosts that prep and hosts that don't. They generally never really had that problem. But Mondays, that's never an issue. Even in the Biden White House and in the Biden presidency, it's still there's still plenty to talk about. Trust me. Uh, and we will talk about all of it over the next hour. I'll try and see if I could squeeze it all in. Uh, trying to line up a couple of guests for this week, too. Stay tuned on that. A couple of interesting stories, both in news and sports, that I want to get into. Uh, and we will do that. Hey, exciting news in Singapore today, where we are, broadcasting live, as the thing in the corner right above me says. Uh, here in Singapore today, Disney Plus. We have moved in with the rest of the world. Well, at least some of it. Uh, Disney Plus arrived. Uh, Disney Plus arrived today in Singapore. So all you people talking about WandaVision, now I'll actually know what the hell you're talking about. I have not seen a single episode. I've only seen one episode of Mandalorian, and that was the first one. You see Baby Yoda in the in the background with the Mandalorian right there. Um, if you look real close, you'll see it. If you watch us on TV, because you know you can watch Twitch on TV, which is kind of cool. If you have one of those smart TVs that has Twitch, you could actually watch us there. If you have Facebook Live, uh, you can watch us on TV too. There's a way to actually watch shows on Facebook Live, which is kind of cool as well. But we're going to be able to watch soon enough. Um, Yeah, see, I haven't seen WandaVision yet. I started looking through some of the episodes today, Diane, uh, or buddy Diane in Southern California saying hello. Um, yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, I haven't seen WandaVision yet. I hear it's weird. I hear it's a weird kind of show. So we'll get to um, get to watch some of that. Hopefully, hopefully this week. I've been kind of obsessed with, and I know I'm I'm killing myself here because I don't have a lot of time today, and I'm I'm kind of veering off course. But sometimes we do that. 
I started uh, watching watching uh, Bridgerton on Netflix. Oh my god, I'm only four episodes in, so I've still got all sorts of stuff to watch. And I know like the sixth episode is supposed to be the controversial one. I we we've only watched four episodes, but uh, my partner and I we are hooked on Bridgerton, hooked on it. Uh, also, I mentioned on the show Friday that we are Thursday, whatever day it was late last week, that we're trying like hell to figure out a way to get my dog to Singapore. He's in the United States. He's in Seattle. My friend Derek is watching the dog. Bless his heart. Um, Otherwise, the dog would be at a pound somewhere. I'm kidding. Somebody would have watched him. Um, Our dog, Dookie, our gorgeous little puggle, has been stranded in the United States as a result of some errors in paperwork by our pet travel agent who was supposed to get him here. It's been a bit of a nightmare. Um, So we've come to two different possible solutions to get him here. Neither are cheap. That's the first thing I'll say. Shipping a dog is tougher than getting a human. Who would have known? Um, We've got two possible solutions to getting the dog here. One is a flight that would take him to Korea ultimately and then get him from Korea to here somehow, which is a bit of a hang-up. The other would be literally me flying back to the United States just to get the dog. But if I have to fly back and get the dog, then in that case, I've got to come back and do the two-week quarantine again here in Singapore. And I've already done that once. Spending four weeks in a hotel, two weeks the first time around, two weeks the second time around, is more than I can bear. So we're trying to get to a solution where we get the dog shipped from Lufthansa, then eventually to Asiana Airlines. <sighs> it is beyond a headache. Uh, it's beyond anything you could possibly imagine. So that's where we are on the dog front. Okay. Um, let me start the show today. And I think it's important that because much of America is acknowledging it. Uh, I think we all have to acknowledge the grim milestone that we've reached in the United States. That the United States now has surpassed a half a million dead people in basically a year. Think about that for a moment. Process that. Let it, as an old colleague of mine used to say, marinate in that for a minute. Think about how many people, a half a million people are dead, gone, that were here a year ago, not here anymore because of COVID-19. Think of Yankee Stadium filled up 10 times. Think of the big house in Michigan filled up basically five times. 500,000 people are dead. And... One of the things I always try to do when we talk about a story is learn something from it. I always say to every segment I do that I used to do in in radio talk shows, and I think I carry the same thing here to this show. Every show need every segment needs to do one of two things. I would always preach this to our producers that I used to work with. Every segment needs to do one of two things. It either needs to inform or it needs to educate. And when I think about coronavirus and a half a million people dead, I'm stuck. I'm stuck trying to find something good that we've learned from it. 
I'm stuck there. I can't figure out the good that's come from this. I can't figure it out. Everything I come up with in terms of coronavirus, and if you guys got something, uh, send it to me in the chat box. If you guys got something, I'm all ears because I can't think of anything good that's come from coronavirus. Everything I've come up with is bad. What, that we're a heartless, in some cases, a good percentage of the country, soulless country that doesn't care if old people die because, ah, eh, they're disposable, they're old anyway, ah, eh, they're in their 70s, they'd be dead in another few years anyhow. When this whole thing first started, I wish I had the, the tape handy. I could go find it, but it would take time, and given that we're a live show and I'm just one human, I can't really do it. But if you go back and listen to some of the Intersection podcasts, uh, which are available on Spotify, Apple Music, um, TuneIn, Google, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, if you go listen to episodes of the Intersection podcast, I was saying something a year ago that people are just figuring out now. We don't care about old people in the U.S. People in the U.S. don't care about the elderly. We treat our elderly in the U.S. like garbage compared to the way other countries cherish senior citizens. They cherish them. United States, not so much. And that's the, I hate to say it, but that's one of the biggest takeaways among many, but it's to me the biggest takeaway I come with. I travel around, you know, I've traveled around the world some, and now I'm, I'm parked here in Singapore. And I watch the way younger people um, show deference and respect to their elders that you see younger Asians and younger Indian people in, Singa- in Singapore that will walk hand in hand. You know, I'm talking elder kids, 20s, 30s, 40s, walking with their elderly aunt or uncle or mother or father and holding their hand. There's this closeness that exists in this culture, and it's one of the things that actually lured me uh, to Singapore. It was one of the first things I ever acknowledged and noticed when I came here in 2017 was the fabric of the Singaporean family, which, again, Singapore has a lot of um, people that have come here from other places, China, Korea, Indonesia, Malaysia, India. It has a lot of transplants. But one thing that seems pretty solid amongst all of them is the fact that there is the close-knit family group that close-knit family unit, which is something that in the United States seems to have slipped away more and more. And I know I kind of sound like an old fuddy-duddy when I say that, and, but I grew up in a household where we had dinner on the table every night at 5 o'clock, 5.30, between 5 and 5.30, depending on how my dad's day at work was going, working at at and I'm not talking about, like, the AT&T cell phone store. I'm talking about literally... AT&T, the phone company. 
And depending on what time he got home, mom would make dinner. We'd all gather around 5 or 5.30. If I had a baseball game, it was a little earlier. Stuff like that. But those days are gone. And it's part of this chipping away at the fabric of family. And again, I'm not talking about from a conservative standpoint. And, you know, family is one man and one woman. and Can't have two guys getting married. I'm not talking about that talking about just that family unit, whether it's two men that are married, two women that are married, whatever it may be. You see that a lot here in Singapore. The elderly are valued here. Family is valued here. Community is valued here. The common goal is valued here. And again, this isn't a Singapore versus the United States thing. It's just perspective based on seeing the way another culture lives outside of my own. That's another thing that I guess when you ask, what have we learned after a half a million people dead? It's that one for all and all for one. No, it doesn't really exist. It's, it's every man for himself by and large, in the United States, or at least a large portion of it, at least half of it. It's, well, it didn't get me. I'm okay. Didn't kill anybody in my family. I thank God that nobody in my family has died from coronavirus yet, knock on wood. I know other families. I am intimately close with other families who have lost somebody. Good friend of ours. Good friend of ours, Jessica. Somebody we went to high school with. Um, Still very friendly with. Lost her uncle just a couple weeks ago. Not an elderly man. Not somebody with tons of comorbidities or anything like that. Gone. And I've had people in my immediate family who have had coronavirus. But thankfully, I haven't lost anybody. And in our own family, we did play it very carefully. We didn't have Easter or Thanksgiving. And even Christmas was kind of muted. But a lot of people just didn't play it safe that way. A lot of people thought it won't happen to me. And a lot of people, unfortunately, to the tune of a half a million now, are gone as a result of that mentality. Think about a year ago where we were. Remember when Donald Trump said, and slowly it'll fade away, slowly it'll be gone. Half a million people dead. And if you look on the screen, you see the the, uh, statistics, which sometimes, again, in the face of real human tragedy, kind of, you miss the point on, but you see where the numbers are right now, and they're down significantly. And a lot of people get a false sense of security from something like that. From where our peak was to where we are now, we are significantly down. Will it stay that way? Hopefully. Hopefully it continues to go downward. Now that the virus, the vaccine rather, is getting out there and getting into more arms. 
we're getting closer to a day where this new normal disappears and we return to the old normal, but we have to learn something from this. We have to take something valuable away from this. Not just the lack of humanity. Not just that sometimes you need the federal government to be able to step up and you can't just leave it to the states. Not just that you shouldn't inject bleach or disinfectant into your arm. Maybe there's a way we can do the bleach injection. Like a cleaning? Oy vey. You think back to some of it, and it's real. This actually happened. You had the President of the United States getting on stage at the, at the White House, stepping up to the podium and saying, maybe we could do like a, a, a bleach injection. God. And there are still people that will swear by the man, which we'll get to coming up in just a couple of minutes. But 500,000 people dead. Hopefully it wasn't somebody that is close to you. And um, hopefully we're on our way out of this terrible situation in the United States. Again, I'm in a country in Singapore where if they have one localized case of COVID, everybody drops what they're doing. One. And that's in a country with five and a half million people, over five and a half million people. One case and people like freeze up and get and get nervous. That's how low the case count has been here for such a long time. And again, it all boils down to, and I know I'm, I'm kind of ranting a little here, it all boils down to what you find acceptable. In this country, they did not find it acceptable when they had a spike, a significant spike, and they killed it. Two-month circuit breaker, boom. Nobody's going anywhere. Unless you've got to go to the grocery store, you're going home. That's it. Nobody's working. You work from home if you can. If not, we'll make sure you're compensated. Done. 29 deaths. Over 5.5 million people. One of the most crowded island nations in the world. 29 deaths. Don't tell me it can't be done. We're coming back. All right, we welcome you back. Up late with Jason Page. Up late with Jason Page, the podcast. If you're listening, thank you for doing so. Now available from Believe and uh, very excited. The Up Late with Jason Page podcast now available on Spotify on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Music, TuneIn. We're everywhere. Uh, everywhere you get your podcasts, you can now listen to Up Late with Jason Page. So if you happen to miss the show when we're on late at night, when you get up in the morning, first thing you do, on your way to work, boom. Done. Find yourself with uh, a few extra minutes, maybe at lunchtime you want to listen in. You can do that too. Okay. Um, I always try to, I, I can't quit him. Every time I try to get away from Donald Trump, inevitably the conversation somehow comes back to him. But it's not my obsession 
with Trump that's the issue. It's the GOP's obsession with Trump uh, that is the issue and will ultimately be the downfall of the party. The Trump GOP is what I'm talking about here. Take a look at this poll. Because I think this has to be extremely alarming if you're the Republican Party. Again, if you're the Democratic Party, I'd just stand back and get out of the way and watch the implosion occur. Kind of like what happened to the Trump Hotel and Casino in uh, Atlantic City that finally was put out of its misery. If Donald Trump formed a third party, this was a USA Today Gallup poll, if Donald Trump formed a, formed a third party, this is among Trump voters, 46% said they would support the Trump party. 27% said they'd support the GOP. And 27% said, eh, I don't know. Think about that for a second. Because even if you split the 27% in half, that gets you 60% of current Trump voters saying they'd split and go with Trump. So if there was ever a case of the GOP even being more tethered to somebody who you should never be tethered to, this is it. This is what Armageddon looks like for the Republican Party. And again, I was saying this almost two years ago, in 2019, that this Armageddon, this day of reckoning was coming for the GOP. I could go find the tapes. I got the receipts to prove it. I told you two years ago, not now when everybody else is saying it, two years ago I told you the day of reckoning was coming. And you know who even said that? Said it before I did was Jeb Bush, of all people. Jeb Bush even said it. The guy was going to blow up the party. And he is. Uh, take Steve Scalise, the minority whip in the House. He was a guest of Jonathan Carl this weekend on this week on uh, ABC News. You want to see what fear of Donald Trump, even though he's not the president anymore, actually looks like? Take a listen to this. The Republican leader in the House had to say uh, in January about the president and January 6th. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility. You heard him say the facts require immediate action from President Trump. We obviously didn't hear it then. When you met with uh, the former president, did you ask him to take responsibility? Did he take responsibility? No, this is what tap dancing looks like, by the way. Well, Jonathan, I was in Florida doing some fundraising throughout a number of parts of Florida. I ended up at Mar-a-Lago, and the president reached out, and we visited. I hadn't seen him uh, since he had left the White House, and it was actually good to catch up with him. I, I, I noticed he was a lot more relaxed than, uh, than his four years in the White House. He still cares a lot about this country and the direction of our country. Uh, but, you know, it was a conversation more about 
how he's doing now and what he's, uh, you know, what he's planning on doing and how his family is doing. But Notice that Steve Scalise totally dodged the question. Nothing about what Kevin McCarthy said, Trump responsible, nothing. So Jonathan Carl presses him. Uh, but wait a minute. I mean, he, he hasn't taken responsibility. You heard Kevin McCarthy say, I mean, do you agree with what Kevin McCarthy said there, that the president must take responsibility, that the facts demand that he take responsibility for what happened on January 6th? Well, first of all, I wrote a Wall Street Journal editorial about uh, where I think the responsibility lays for January 6th, and surely there's a lot of blame to go around. But at the end of the day, the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, it was a disgrace, uh, and they need to be held accountable. And in fact, over 180 have already been arrested, and I, I know the FBI is working to root out every person who broke into the Capitol, who attacked police. Uh, there's no I mean, that's... that. Steve! Answer the question. It's obvious. I'm, I'm asking about Donald Trump's role in this. You heard, again, Kevin McCarthy. Do you agree with what he said? That he bears responsibility for what happened? Yeah. For what happened well, again, you can, go back, you can go back and look at the impeachment trial, the, the second impeachment trial. It seems like all they've done since the day he walked into office was try oh, to impeach him. But again, when you look at that trial, they ran a clip of pretty much every United States senator who voted to impeach President Trump who talked about <sighs> uh, things like go and fight like hell and other things like that. So, so you're saying he doesn't day, bear responsibility. When you you're saying look he at doesn't. President, when you look, look, President Trump has denounced what happened. Uh, and, and I think everybody should have been unequivocal oh in God. their denouncing of what happened, uh, not only on January 6th, but that during the summer when they were burning puppy, down man. cities, shooting cops. That is a scared puppy. Don't want to be on Donald Trump's bad side. Don't want to get primaried. Love that government pension, that free parking at the airport in Washington, D.C. Oh, no, no. Can't lose that. Beating people in the streets. Uh, you, you saw so, the left denouncing January 6th. As we did, they didn't denounce what happened during the summer. So let's uh, be across the board. Did. And saying anybody who resorts to violence to settle political disputes, there's no place okay. for that in America. And it should be disputed unequivocally. Let's also be clear, the president, then president, Donald Trump, did not denounce what happened on January 6th, on January 6th. Uh, but clear this up for me. Joe Biden won the election. He is the legitimate president of the United States. The election was not stolen, correct? And this, again, is where Steve Scalise, the minority whip in the House, is speaking to a crowd of one. Look, Joe Biden's the president. Uh, there were a few states that did not follow their state laws. That's really the dispute that you've seen continue on. And, and look, if you're Joe Biden, you probably want to keep talking about impeachment and anything other than the fact that he's killed millions of American energy jobs, uh, that he continues mm. uh, to. They just signed the Paris Accord. It's going to kill manufacturing jobs in America. But at the end of the day, when you look at where we are in this country, uh, either we're going to address the problems that happened with the election that people are still, millions of people are still concerned about. The Constitution says... You mean the problems that, oh, I don't know, every court in the land said weren't problems? Is that what you mean? Is that what you mean, Steve? Show me a court win somewhere, anywhere. Oh, by the way, you just lost another one on Monday. Supreme Court said, nope. We're not touching Pennsylvania. Just doesn't stop with these 
State legislatures set the rules for elections. That didn't happen in a few states. And so going forward, look, Joe Biden's okay, the president. But, but does he uh, but I, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, towards what people are angry about? But, but, but Congressman, I know Joe Biden's the president. He lives at the White House. Uh, <laughs> I asked you, is yeah. he the legitimate president of the United States? And do you concede that this election was not stolen? Very simple question, please. It is a simple yeah, question. Once, once, the elect, once the electors are counted, yes, he's the legitimate president. Uh, but uh, if you're going to ignore the fact that there were states that did not follow oh their own state God. legislatively set laws, that's the issue at heart that millions of people still are not happy with and don't want to see happen again. You know, look, we're, you can rehash the election uh, from 2020 all day long, but there are people concerned about what the next election is going to look like. Are we going to finally get back uh, to the way the rule of law works? And I think that's the biggest frustration many people have is okay. those states that didn't follow the law, are they going to keep doing that in the future? Are we going to finally get back to what the Constitution calls out for electing our leaders? Doesn't want mail-in voting. Only in the United States, only in the United States, does one major party not want more people voting? Only in the United States. Because they know the more accessibility you have to voting, the better the chance you're not going to vote for the Republicans. They know it. You saw it. Huge turnout in November. What, 150 million people voted? 155 million people? I don't know, whatever the number was. Yeah, it was about 155 million. In the battle of ideas, Republicans lost. And they lost because they had an extremely flawed candidate who Steve Scalise apparently is okay with running back to. It is mind-numbing. And here's the thing, a couple of quick things here, because I don't want to spend, I got a lot of other stuff I want to get to here. A couple things. First of all, two big, here, big, two big rulings out of the Supreme Court on Monday. One, Pennsylvania, they said, we're not touching it, we're done with it. The election's over. Move on. Two, Trump's taxes. Cy Vance, Southern District of New York, they got Trump's taxes. So now you have the GOP running to coddle and nurture the hurt feelings of this orange menace. And who knows, six months down the line, you could be talking about the Rico statues catching up to Trump and him winding up behind bars. They're bringing in mob. They're bringing in people that used to investigate the mafia for this one. That's when the mafia goes down. The mafia doesn't go down for killing people. No, 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 no. When the mafia goes down, it goes down for Rico. Wire fraud. Financial crimes. Oh, but he's one of you, that Donald Trump. Yeah, he's one of you, hiding his millions, handing it to his kids so he doesn't have to pay taxes on it, paying off strippers, 
Not really counting it. Oh, yeah. You got a world of trouble right now if you're the GOP. If you're backing the Donald Trump horse, who, by the way, he's going to go to CPAC. Trump's going to go to CPAC, this conservative convention, in a couple weeks. And he's going to declare that he is the presumptive nominee for 2024. And what the hell are Republicans to do in that situation? I'm not rooting for the GOP implosion. The United States needs two healthy political parties, at least two healthy political parties. So I'm not rooting for a GOP implosion. But you are staring one in the face when you've got CPAC a couple of weeks away, the president declaring himself the presumptive nominee for 2024 to represent the party, and he could be six months, nine months, 12 months away from being indicted, maybe even less than that. Well, the New York thing, it's taxes, it's this, it's that. What about Georgia, where he interfered with a federal election? Could wind up behind bars for that. This is the horse you want to back? Time and time again, I say it. The GOP has its chance to jump off the Trump train. There's still another stop before this train goes over the cliff. And they just won't do it. They can't let him go. Mm. They just can't unlove him. Or the people that support him. But that's an alarming poll on your screen right there. That's a very alarming poll on your screen. Because that means a split and you can wind up with a third, a second conservative party, a second Republican party. You could wind up with Trump as a nominee in 2024 and the Republican party splintering off, nominating its own presidential candidate, and now whoever the Democratic nominee is, smooth sailing to the White House. It's a big problem for the GOP, and they better get it figured out. All right, we've still got plenty more to do uh, on this program. Uh, I have the anatomy of the latest mass casualty shooting in the U.S. Oh, guns are great. Yeah, just keep buying those guns and bragging about your guns and your babies and cleaning them and oiling them, and it's great. (sighs) I'll tell you about the latest mass casualty shooting. And Rudy Giuliani, I have no other way to say this, could be the biggest scumbag walking the face of the earth. I have no better way to say it than that. We'll have the evidence next, up late. All right, we welcome you back up late with Jason Page on this Monday slash Tuesday, depending on where you're listening and how you're viewing or listening to the show. Don't forget the Up Late with Jason Page podcast now available if you can't stay up and watch us. Get up in the morning, get the podcast, and listen. It's free. We even cut out these little commercial breaks or breaks because we don't have any commercials per se, at least not yet. Um, 
Uh, our buddy Dave was weighing in in the chat room about the demographics of who voted for Republicans and Democrats. Listen, I say this all the time. People vote against their own interests all the time in politics, especially in the United States. I mean, the elderly voted for Trump overwhelmingly in 2016. Guess who died the most in coronavirus? The elderly. And then according to exit polls, they still voted for him in 2020. You get the government you ask for. My parents are the perfect example. They're bitching and moaning about having to stay in their house for a year because of coronavirus and how it's being handled. And, oh, my God, we should be able to go play bingo. And I want to be able to go out to the diner on Friday nights. And, oh, my God, I can't see my kids and my grandkids. You voted for the guy who's the reason why it was so screwed up. Look at yourself. Nobody to blame but you. Facts. Hashtag facts matter. I'll be pissed. Look in the mirror. (sighs) Okay. Um, I want to talk about Rudy Giuliani here in a second because he is just the biggest piece of trash walking the face of the earth. If there is anybody I would love to see locked away, just never see the light of day again, it would be Rudy Giuliani. We can't get that lucky. But anyway, um, I'll have the anatomy of the latest mass casualty shooting in the U.S. coming up here just for a minute. So did you see this thing in Louisiana? A bunch of people died at a gun shop. Boy. Because somebody walked in with their gun, and according to the reporting on this story, and according to the police who have started already talking about it, you had... You had a man walk into a gun shop with a loaded weapon, and when he was asked by those working at the gun shop to unload his weapon, he refused, got pissed, and started shooting a bunch of people. Several people are dead, a bunch of people injured. Then you got people in the gun shop firing at the assailant, So you've got the wild, wild west in Louisiana at a gun shop. Congratulations. Because a good guy with a gun will kill a bad guy with a gun. But in the meantime, a few other people might get killed. It just, it just, it never ends. This is the United States. So that's the anatomy of the latest gun shooting um, in the United States. We'll get more details as we kind of go along, but it's just just amazing. All right, so let me talk about uh, Rudy Giuliani here for a second. Uh, By the way, you'll want to stick around the final few minutes of today's show. Um, For all the bad news we've talked about today, I've got the coolest thing you will see anywhere, TV, video, social media. Coolest thing you'll see today is the final three minutes of this show. I promise. Uh, That's coming up. Why is Rudy Giuliani a scumbag? This is Rudy Giuliani on um, 
Steve Bannon's talk show. Rudy Giuliani on Steve Bannon's podcast, video show, whatever he does. Something similar to what I do, though. So I'm not going to knock that. I will knock the content. Because you're having Rudy Giuliani on, and he's saying things like this story. Listen to how utterly creepy and disgusting this is. Do you have time for a funny story? Yeah, we got about a, we got about a minute. I get this one done in a minute. So every once in a while, I just always, I was always his partner. So we'd always ride together. He'd always, he always wanted me to drive because he wanted to be smoking cigars. By the way, this Let is... Let me just say here, that- this is Rudy Giuliani talking about a story of him and Rush Limbaugh playing in a golf tournament with Michelle Wee. Rudy Giuliani playing in a golf tournament with Michelle Wee and Rush Limbaugh. It's a celebrity tournament. Okay. Now that you have some more context, here we go. Together, he always he always wanted me to drive because he wanted to be smoking cigars. So one day we're driving and these paparazzi are driving us crazy. They're taking pictures, they're taking pictures, they're taking pictures. And he said, Giuliani, what did you do now? They're all following you around. You know how I hate pictures taken. I know you're famous, but damn, can't you tell them to stay away? And he's, he's like growling. And I say, you can just come up to the come up to the green with me. Come on, come on. So on the green is Michelle Wee, and she's getting ready to putt. Now, Michelle Wee is gorgeous. She's six feet, and she has a strange putting stance. She bends all the way over, and her panties show. And the He said, what? No, no, no. What did he just say about Michelle Wee? Pro golfer, Michelle Wee, one of the best golfers in the world, Michelle Wee. She bends all the way over and her panties show. And the press was going crazy. They were following her all around because they were trying to take pictures of her panties. I said, Roger, it's not me. It's not you. It's her panties. Is that I mean, really? That's what Rudy Giuliani is talking about with Steve Bannon. And trust me, I'm looking at the video of it. I'm just giving you the audio because I didn't have time to pull the video just before we came on. But Steve Bannon looks mortified having to hear this story. Okay to tell that joke. I'm not sure. <laughs> we, oh, we already then told Rudy it, so says, <laughs> then Rudy says, is it okay to tell that joke? First of all, it's not a joke. If you needed any further evidence of the kind of scumbag that Rudy Giuliani is, he's talking about looking at Michelle Wee's panties while she's golfing. Oh, it's just locker room talk, though, right? I'll say it again, America. Say it again. It all comes down to what you are willing to accept from your elected leaders and leaders in general. Because Rudy Giuliani, for better or worse, big part of the GOP, they love to own him when he's 
riding on Trump's coattails. They're going to probably run from him now when they're asked about him. Oh, God, I wish I can get this image on the screen. I mean, it really is just... It's almost it's almost worth it for me to kind of pause what I'm doing here and, and just show you guys the creepiness that is Rudy Giuliani. Just disgusting. Like I said, if Trump gets locked up, I hope Rudy gets locked up right next to him. Not in the same cell, because then they'll have each other's company. Although that might even be worse for Trump if he actually had to sit in a cell with Rudy for, I don't know, five to ten. Wouldn't take much more than that. Trump's got no more than five to ten left anyway. God knows Rudy doesn't have much left. I mean, the guy's leaking oil during press conferences. (laughs) But man alive. Ugh. Talking about Michelle Wee's panties. Press was going crazy. They were following her all around because they were trying to take pictures of her panties. I said, Roger. Nobody's trying to take pictures of her panties. (sighs) Nobody's trying to take pictures of her panties. Rudy. You're the only creepy old man there that was trying to look at her panties. Which, by the way, she doesn't even wear... It's not panties underneath the short skirts that they wear when they're playing when they're playing golf. They're special shorts. They're athletic shorts that are underneath. You're not looking at her panties, you dumbass. You don't even know what panties are. Mind you, this is the same guy that tried to deny he was trying to get with the girl in the Borat 2 movie. That woman that was going to interview him, which still is one of the strangest stories of 2020, was Rudy caught in a compromising position in the hotel room with this actress from the Borat movie where Rudy says, oh, no, I was just tucking in my shirt. Yeah, while grabbing your junk. Unreal, man. Unreal. All right, uh, I've got the coolest video you will see all day. Coming up in a couple of minutes and a little peek at what we're going to talk about on tomorrow's show. That's next up late. We welcome you back up late with Jason Page on this Monday slash Tuesday, depending on when you are listening. Who knows? You could be listening days from now on the up late with Jason Page podcast. Subscribe. It costs you nothing. Subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. It's all sorts of fun. Talk about all sorts of different things. It's good times. Uh, I put the link on the in the chat room for the Rudy Giuliani video of that interview with Steve Bannon, just so if some people want to see it. It's just, you got to see it to believe it. That's all I'm going to say. Got to see it to believe it. Um, all right, coming up in a minute. The coolest thing you will see all day on video. I promise you, you're going to want to stick around and watch this. Uh, That's coming up. Tomorrow on the show, the interesting back and forth. I didn't do any sports today. I will do some tomorrow. A couple of different stories. One involving Cam Newton that I want to talk about. And the other involving the NFL and ESPN. 
in a bit of a tug of war over the next rights package, TV rights package for ESPN slash Disney, ABC, and the NFL. And I got a guess that I'm trying to line up to uh, talk about it as well, because I know a lot of people obviously care about the NFL. So we'll do that on our show tomorrow. All right. Anybody who knows me knows last week I talked about the Mars rover landing as one of the coolest things um, you'll ever get to watch. And we've had little bits and pieces of how the different Mars rovers have touched down and what they've done when they've landed on the on the red planet and all of that. But you have never seen anything like what I'm about to show you, released by NASA on Monday. I, I can't even describe it. Watch it for yourself. We are starting to straighten up and fly right maneuver where the spacecraft will jettison the entry balance masses in preparation for parachute deploy and to roll over to give the radar a better look at the ground. The navigation has confirmed that the parachute has deployed and we are seeing significant deceleration in the velocity. Our current velocity is 440 meters per second at an altitude of about 12 kilometers from the surface of Mars. Heat shield set. Perseverance has now slowed to subsonic speeds and the heat shield has been separated. This allows both the radar and the cameras to get their first look at the surface. Current velocity is 145 meters per second and an altitude of about 10 kilom- nine and a half kilometers above the surface. Nav filter converge. Velocity solution, 3.3 meters per second. Altitude, 7.4 kilometers. Now has radar lock on the ground. Current velocity is about 100 meters per second, 6.6 kilometers above the surface. Perseverance is continuing to descend on the parachute. We are coming up on the initialization of terrain relative navigation and subsequently the priming of the landing engines. Our current velocity is about 90 meters per second at an altitude of 4.2 kilometers. OVS valid. We have confirmation that the lander vision system has produced a valid solution and part of terrain relative navigation. Priming. TBA is nominal. We have priming of the landing engines. Back shell set. Current velocity is 83 meters per second at about 2.6 kilometers from the surface of Mars. We have confirmation that the back shell has separated. We are currently performing the divert maneuver. Current velocity is about 75 meters per second at an altitude of about a kilometer off the surface of Mars. Here in safety, Bravo. We have completed our terrain relative navigation. Current speed is about 30 meters per second, altitude of about 300 meters off the surface of Mars. We have started our constant velocity accordion, which means we are conducting the sky crane about to conduct the sky crane maneuver. Sky crane maneuver has started about 20 meters off the surface. We're getting signals from MRO. Tango Delta. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. Tell me a cooler video you will see all day than that. I get chills watching that. And that is amazing technology to be able to land a vehicle. 
uh, safely on Mars from Earth. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Uh, I figured that was a good way to wrap up our show for today. And that is exactly what we will do. And on a good note, I always say, thanks for being with us up late. We're with you every night, Monday through Friday, just about every night, Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, 12 noon in Singapore. I don't know what time it is in Mars, but at some point there too. The Up Late with Jason Page podcast. Go and subscribe. If you can't watch us, listen the same show it's just the audio you may not see some of the video segments but you'll still hear the audio from them it's free and you can listen to it whenever you want on your way to work do it do it do it the up late with jason page podcast don't forget also subscribe to the intersection podcast back with an all new episode of that next week lon mccarran of ESPN's Poker World Series coverage. Alon McCarron, who's been in the broadcasting world all over it and back uh, for a zillion years. Alon McCarron, on my guest on the Intersection podcast next week. You can get that as well in all your favorite podcasting sources. I'm Jason Page. Have a great day. Stay safe. Mask up. Catch you back here next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.